as today we're going to finish our series through the books of Colossians and Philippians. Today we're going to land the plane and look forward next week to Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday after that and then we will start a new series in the weeks following Easter that we haven't quite decided on but today we're going to end our studies in the book of Colossians and Philippians. I hope it's been as beneficial to you as it has been to me. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God, written for you and written for me. Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which, surpass, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, you were indeed concerned for me, but you didn't have the opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, this is the time of year that I assist my dear friend Lance Hagen over here, one of the tennis pros at the Dallas Country Club and head tennis coach of the men and women men and women's varsity tennis teams at Trinity Christian Academy. Lance has been gracious enough to allow me to come out to a couple practices a week and help him in the matches. It's, it's kind of unusual to be in charge of two teams at the same time, and so it's my privilege and blessing to assist Brother Lance. Well, this past week, we had a tournament um, where lots of, I guess, all the teams in our district went to play. It was an all-day affair and so I went and set up shop. I was going to watch one of our doubles teams, check them out as I was preparing to watch their match. 
Two other boys came out to play on the court beside them, not from our school. One of the boys who was playing that match is arguably the very best player in the district, probably will walk on for Tulane University, an outstanding player. His opponent, not so fortunate. <laughs> you can almost tell when they walk on the court who's going to win and who's going to lose. And if you've been experienced as a tennis player, you can notice from the first ball that's hit in the air who the better player is. And this, this person, I think the boy from Prestonwood was, was not as good. Prestonwood is a rival of TCA, so I don't have a problem with that. that um, <laughs> it is safe to say that this boy from Prestonwood was in over his head. He was out of his depth. He was completely overmatched playing this boy from Parrish. About that, there was no doubt. That's how I feel, frankly, when it comes to this passage. I feel outmatched. I feel out of my depth. I feel like I'm in over my head. I feel like I'm unqualified to preach this passage. Because in this passage, I'm going to commend to you, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to commend to you, through me, something that I find very challenging in my life. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippians not to be anxious in anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, to present their requests to God. And that subsequent to that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And that is something, quite frankly, I have a very difficult time in doing. I think I'm one of those people who came out of the womb anxious. I don't know if any of you can relate to that or identify with that. I feel like most days I kind of have a low-grade anxiety that kind of takes me through the day. And if that wasn't enough, Paul tells the Philippians that he learned the secret of Christian contentment. He learned to be content in plenty and in want, through thick and thin, that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. That's been another problem of mine for many years. Struggling with a spirit of discontentment, anxiety, discontentment, and the list of besetting sins that David Ray faces on a weekly basis. Anxiety and lack of contentment, boy, those are at the top of the list. So I told people at work, I said, this is this, I feel hypocritical, but we're all in it together. And what ministers do um, I think the best ministers, they do not preach at people, okay? They preach to themselves when they preach to the congregation. So please know, this text applies to my life, perhaps more than anyone today. We're going to see what it means and maybe what it doesn't mean. We're going to try to nuance this a little bit. Because on the surface, Paul's commendation to the Philippians can sound a little bit like my favorite skit um, that I love uh, 
where, um, let's see, what's his name? Um, oh my gosh, I'm having a senior moment. Bob Newhart. Thank you, Nate. This is, <laughs> see, that's what happens, you know? We listen to this skit all the time, especially as it relates to Christian counseling. I've mentioned it to you before. If you haven't watched it, you have to watch it. One of the greatest skits of all time. Olivia Costanza, she had never heard it, showed it to her a couple weeks ago. She greatly appreciated it. So Bob Newhart is playing this psychologist or a psychiatrist, and he's receiving patients, and this woman comes in with this very unique phobia. She's concerned, she's scared to death about being buried alive in a box, and she doesn't know what to do about it. So he receives her in, and he asks what her problem is. She says, I'm worried about being buried alive in a box. It's a phobia. He says, has anyone ever tried to do that to you? She goes, no, but I'm very afraid of it. I'm, I'm afraid of being indoors and things like that. He says, okay, well, sit down, and I'm going to give you some advice. Typically, it only takes about five minutes. Um, I'm going to need five dollars and I don't make change, and, um, and I want you to take it with you when you leave this room. Take it out of here and put it in practice. And so she gets out her pad, and she's getting ready. He goes, what? I don't think you need to write it down. Most people, I find, can remember it. Are you ready? And she says, I'm ready. And he yells at her, stop it. <laughs> and she, she's like stunned. Like she's almost like she feels like she's been abused in some sense. She's like, what? He said, stop it. He said, do you like going around all day worried about being buried and alive in a box? And she says, no, it's terrible. He goes, stop it. Why would you do that? She says, well, how can I do that? He goes, people always do this. He's like, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T, stop it. Some people feel like the Apostle Paul is being a little like Bob Newhart by just saying, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Just stop it. Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, offer your request to God, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But what kind of anxiety is Paul talking about? People always ask me, David, do you still get nervous when you preach or public speak? And the answer is yes, not, not nearly to the degree when I first started. But absolutely, I would be less than honest if I did not say that there were some nerves every week before coming into the pulpit. Allison Averett, when she teaches, will always talk about feeling a little bit of nervousness, a little, a little anxiety before public speaking. Our young athletes in here, do any of you get a little nervous or a little anxious before you play a game or before you have a big test? Is that sinful? Is that illegitimate? Your first day on the job, you know, anticipatory anxiety, thinking about what's going to happen. Am I going to like my new boss? How am I going to work with my coworkers? You know, feeling a difficulty uh, a conflict with a colleague, you know, does that ever produce anxiety or, or, or mothers of young children? If your child was diagnosed with something challenging or hard, is it just this easy? Just don't be anxious. Just pray about it. Be thanks, thankful 
for God's grace in your life and then no more anxiety? What about the soldier who comes back from war and greatly struggles with PTSD? I just happened to see a little documentary about a soldier who came back and um, his life was changed with the therapy dog because he goes into, could be Walmart or something, if he hears a loud sound, if he just hears a loud sound, it's a trigger and he goes into a state of meltdown. His, his body is used to being hyper vigilant. He hears a door slam or something and adrenaline, cortisol just courses through his veins because of things he's seen. I'm sure Dave Clellan can relate to that. Back to his time of service, is it just as simple as saying, stop it? Don't be anxious? I don't think that's what Paul is, is, really, is really getting at here, and we'll talk about that. And I think, I think Christian contentment is similar. Um, there's different facets of Christian contentment. So let's look at our passage. Let's try to figure out what Paul is saying, what he maybe is not saying, how to nuance this and think through this in, in a balanced way. I can resonate with the struggle. Paul, Philippians 4, he's kind of beginning the end of, his, of this wonderful letter. He writes, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, notice he calls them his joy and his crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. He's already said he loves them, the beginning of one. Then he says, my beloved. He loves the Philippians. Do you remember why he loves the Philippians, why he cherishes this congregation, maybe even more than some others? Remember how they partnered with him? The context of this letter is Epaphroditus has been sent with an amazing gift, a financial gift to Paul in Rome so that he can afford house arrest so he's not in a horrific dungeon, so that he could be clothed and fed so that he would have writing materials. The Philippian church may have been the only church that partnered with Paul to a significant degree during his time in Rome. So they are his joy and his crown, and he's so thankful for them, and he loves them, and he calls them his beloved. And then he deals with a specific issue that no doubt Epaphroditus had told him about. Verse 2, we don't know the specifics, but there's a conflict in Philippi. He writes in verse 2, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. In other words, I'm asking you to reconcile. You're at variance with one another. You're in conflict with one another. Yes, I ask you also, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. What does he say there? I ask you also, true companion? Who is true companion? Is that someone's actual name? Is that a reference to kind of the church as a whole? or an unnamed individual, he's appealing for someone in Philippi to help mediate this dispute. I think it's likely perhaps it's Epaphroditus who has become such a dear brother to Paul. Epaphroditus, who came and brought the gift, stayed in Philippi after he recovered from illness, helped Paul. Paul viewed him as a trusty companion. Epaphroditus is taking the letter back to the Philippians. He's taking this letter, so to me it makes sense. He's the true companion. Paul's briefed him, told him about the issue, has told him how to help bring reconciliation between Euodia and Seneca. Verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, 
Help these women. Notice how he describes these women. Help these women who have labored by my side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's, I think, implied in this is like, this is like a, if you want to describe like theological problems into different tiers, like, you know, is Jesus really God? Does God exist in Trinity? That would be like a tier one problem. Like, what is the gospel? This conflict was probably a tier three or a tier four problem. This could have been a personal conflict. This could have been a conflict about what time to have the church service. Should we turn the air conditioning on or not? I don't know. But it had, they had made a mountain out of a molehill. And so he has enlisted the help of true companion, maybe Epaphroditus, help me mediate this when you get there. And he describes these women as having labored side by side with him in the gospel together with Clement. I'm not going to do a whole nother farewell greeting sermon identifying all the people. Clement's very fascinating. This could be the same Clement who was later a bishop of Rome and wrote a letter called First Clement that was written to the Corinthians in around 95 AD. If Clement was young when this letter was written, it could be the same guy. Fascinating how all these things overlap. At any rate, in Philippi, you have Euodia, Syntyche, Clement, helping the church. Euodia, Syntyche, having a problem. Okay? He wants them to come together. He calls them, he says, their names are in the book of life. These are lovers of the Lord Jesus. They are in good standing in the church. This is a tier four problem, but it has grown into something significant. And it is causing a problem in Philippi. And so verses four through seven are an outworking of two and three. Paul's not going on to a new and unrelated subject in verse 4. A lot of times you hear verses 4 through 7 kind of preached on their own without any context. The context of the whole deal about anxiety relates to Euodia and Syntyche. Their conflict, their difficulty, their variance was causing anxiety and difficulty and unrest in the church. Once you understand that, it makes so much more sense. Verse 4, rejoice, okay, instead of fighting. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to repeat myself. Rejoice. Now look at verse 5. The ESV translates this Greek term. If you have another Bible, I think the NIV translates it gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. That's a good definition. The ESV renders that word reasonableness, which is also a good translation, which gets at the same thing. Why do you think he says that? Just out of nowhere, let your reasonableness, maybe your gentleness, be known to all. Because Euodia and Syntyche were not being reasonable, and they were not being gentle, and they weren't putting the interest of others above their own. 
And what they were doing, these were leaders, significant women in the early church. Reminds me of that amazing movie you may have seen a few years ago, Hidden Figures, where the three African-American women in the early 60s worked for NASA. They were mathematicians and helped put John Glenn into space. Love that title, Hidden Figures. These two women, first century hidden figures, significant figures in the early church. And what they were doing and their interaction was causing anxiety. Look at the end of verse 5. So he implores them, be reasonable and let your reasonableness, let it be known that you're being reasonable. He says this. He tries to put this whole thing in perspective. When we have conflict with people, it's helpful for it to be put in perspective. When we face anxiety and difficulty, and when we're discontent, it's helpful to put things in perspective. He writes, the Lord is at hand. People don't know exactly how to interpret what he's saying. Oftentimes, that little idiom, that little phrase is an idiom for, the Lord is returning soon. His return is imminent. Others view it almost like spatially, relationally. The Lord's near. He's with you. Perhaps both are true. He's with you. He's at hand. You're not alone. He's coming soon, potentially. He can come anytime. Let's put some perspective on this. Verse 6, here we go. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about, about this situation, about being correct or whatever. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything. By and through prayer and supplication, like you're, you're making your specific request known, but in everything by prayer and with specificity, with thanksgiving, you're thanking God for his involvement. Let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think what he's saying here is, not only is there this existential peace that you will get when you commit things to the Lord, but there's going to be peace horizontally between believers. When you're reasonable, when you're gentle, when you're prayerful, when you're considerate, when with thanksgiving you pray about things and commit it to the Lord, that's going to bring a spirit of peacemaking and peacegiving. The rest makes complete sense. Verse 8, rather than catastrophizing, ruminating, fixating on this conflict that's causing anxiety in the church, don't go there. Don't be bound up with those things. Finally, or it could be translated furthermore, brothers, whatever is true, not petty, true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, keep your gospel perspective. That doesn't make everything go away in some trite sense, but it puts our issues, our anxieties, our concerns, our problems, it puts it in perspective. 
Some of you are living with things and dealing with things that are almost too difficult to put into words. Life and death matters. It's easy to get so overwhelmed worrying about tomorrow, how it's going to work out, what's going to happen. To go down that road can be catastrophic, spiritually, emotionally. One of the root problems in this is like David Ray is the worst offender in this. You end up living like a functional atheist, like a, like a practical atheist. Like you worry, you fixate, you ruminate, you meditate on things, you catastrophize functionally. Like there's no difference between David and his neighbor. Oftentimes, I'm ashamed to say, it takes me way too long before I get on my knees and commit it to the Lord. I like control, so I think I can try to fix it. Maybe if I think about it, you know, mull it over more. But it's paralyzing. He's saying, don't do that. He's, this is not just like positive, happy thoughts, everything is going to be okay. Remember what's true. Remember what's lovely. Remember the truth of the gospel. He said, the Lord's at hand. The Lord's near. The Lord is coming. When things are horrible, when things are difficult, when night is dark, the star of Jesus Christ shines all the brighter. That's what he wants us to focus on. That relates to discontentment as well. He says in verse 11 that he's learned that whatever situation he was in, to be content. He even says later that he has learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, need, that he can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the most, that's one of the most, um, a verse that has been taken out of context more than maybe any other in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As much as I would like to say that I could play in the NBA, I can't. I'm short, I'm slow, I have no vertical, I'm in my 50s. There's no way. People pull that out as a bumper sticker. I can do all things. No, you can't. I'm sorry. And neither can I. I have major limitations. And so do you. What Paul is saying is, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of this perspective, he's learned to be content. Now, anxiety and discontentment. How do we nuance this? What's interesting is, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I want to read to you this verse, like how do, we, how do we harmonize this? In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, besides everything else, he's talking about various difficulties he's faced. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my anxiety for all the churches. Exact same Greek word. Paul is acknowledging that on a daily basis, he faces and suffers from anxiety for all the churches. He's worried about them. He's focused on them. Are the Judaizers coming in? Are they going to undo everything that he's done? Are the super apostles going to come in and undermine what he's done? So in Philippians 4, never be anxious. 2 Corinthians 11, 
he says, I have daily anxiety for my churches. In terms of contentment. He's learned the secret of Christian contentment. But what does he say about people that are facing enslavement? He says, if you can legally and lawfully get your freedom, what does he say to do? Get it. Are they not content to stay in their situation? Everything needs to be nuanced and balanced a little bit. He's talking about, I think he's talking about crippling, overwhelming, catastrophizing anxiety. This debilitating that David Ray suffers from and deals with on a regular basis. Discontentment, which steals our joy, always projecting about where you want to be, things would be better if I was in this situation. And we, we put ourselves in the position of God as if we knew what would happen if we were in this situation or that situation. Things could be far worse. Things could be different. You know, the problem is we, all of us, we Monday morning quarterback the Lord and his will for our life. I have learned in my life, Paul learned the Christian secret of Christian contentment. I've learned in my life the blessings that can come from sinful anxiety. One of the blessings, and the Lord is growing me and sanctifying, sanctifying me through it, but what does that do to you? That puts you on your knees. That humbles you. That causes you to cry out for deliverance and for help and for the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord can use even that to draw near to us and to comfort us. Who is Jesus? He's the one who is gentle and lowly. Jesus understands. He knows about our anxiety. He knows that we're often discontent and wishing for a different situation. He knows it better than anyone. When he describes his heart, who he is in his essence, he's gentle and lowly, gentle and humble, accessible, approachable, loving, kind, gracious. In Hebrews, it describes Jesus as a high priest who is what? Sympathetic and empathetic. When Jesus saw his people, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and it says his heart was what? toward them. Do you remember? Compassionate toward them. That Greek word for compassionate, it's like feelings that well up from your bowels. His disposition toward his dispirited, conflicted people is one of compassion. I love it when the leper comes up to Jesus in desperation and he said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is gentle and lowly and patient and kind, said, Oh, I'm willing, and you'll be clean. And so in the midst of your anxiety and your discontentment, the Psalms say, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When you are anxious, when you are disquieted, when you are discontent, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the truths of his gospel, that the worst thing that could ever happen to you has been averted. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is to be separated from the love of God forever. That's one problem that's been dealt with. And not only that, what did Paul say? The Lord is near.
the Lord is at hand. The power of the Holy Spirit will be with you and love you and cherish you and tend to you in all your difficulty. That's what this means to me. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank you and praise you for your graciousness and loving kindness. We thank you that you are a savior. You are a shepherd who is gentle and lowly and empathetic and sympathetic and compassionate and willing. And you love us and you care for us and you know that we are just like sheep that are prone to wander and suffer from almost every affliction under the sun. We are a people who ruminate and catastrophize and we're anxious and discontent. We're often hopeless and helpless. Lord Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit of the living God, help us to know and truly experience the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's at hand, that he's near, that he is with us in this. Lord, help us to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. Help the Lord Jesus, his presence with us, to guard our hearts and minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.